This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This year at Christian Chapel, we're sharing stories of what God has done, stories of healing, provision, deliverance, whatever it might be. If you have those in your life, you can send them to us at praise at christianchapel.com. This morning's story comes from Sharon Craig. She said, I've had extra stretchy joints my whole life. Due to that, I've never known when a simple action will end up in injury and pain. It's resulted in serious joint pain that makes life difficult at times. Earlier this year, on a Monday night, I had a particularly bad time trying to sleep. I was participating in the Tuesday morning ladies' Bible study at Christian Chapel at the time, but was so tired that I contemplated staying home due to fatigue and pain. But I was up, so I went ahead and got ready and headed to church. As I drove into Christian Chapel that morning, I was praying to the Lord and asking him to heal my joints. I'd started to think that maybe this was my thorn in the flesh, and I was just going to have to deal with it. During the ladies' Bible study, I shared my pain and my need with the ladies at my table. My friend, Brenda Isaacs, asked the other women to pray for me. As they prayed, I felt a coolness flood into my hands. It was similar to how your hand feels cold when you receive an IV and the fluid starts to flow through your veins. When that cooling sensation passed, all the pain in my hands was completely gone. I was able to move my hands and fingers in ways I had not been able to move them before without experiencing pain. I'm still able to interlock and interlace my fingers, something that I couldn't do before without pain. Jesus healed me through the prayers of my friends. What I thought might be my thorn in the flesh, Jesus took completely out of my flesh. So I, I checked in with Sharon just uh, yesterday, and she said, uh, we're, we're going on two months now, still no pain, still full movement, uh, just feeling great. And so we're sharing those stories because we feel like God's called us to celebrate the good things that he's done, and also because we're taking a moment to say, Lord, we recognize what you've done, and we're asking, will you do it again? And so we're going to pray this morning. We're going to pray specifically if you're having that, that similar kind of joint pain, limited mobility, limited movement, that God will release the same healing power in your life. You might have a completely different physical need, a completely different need in your life entirely. And we're going to pray that God will meet that this morning as well. So will you join me in that prayer? And if you've got a need, just grab the hand of someone next to you if you're comfortable doing that. And that's going to be their, their sign to pray for you. Jesus, we are thankful for your healing power that you released in Sharon's life. We're grateful, Lord, that uh, what she thought might be something she just would have to suffer and deal with instead is something that you completely healed and delivered her from. Today, Lord, we rejoice in her healing. We rejoice in her absence of pain. We rejoice in the restoration of movement and mobility. And Lord, as we thank you and recognize your powers, we recognize that healing is a gift you release. It's not something we earn or deserve. It's not something we could ever in any way manipulate. But Lord, we, we come today asking what you've done for Sharon, what you've promised to do in the scriptures. Will you do it again today? Lord, even now, will you begin to release the healing power of the Holy Spirit in this room? Will you begin to reach down and restore movement and mobility? Will you begin to reverse the effects of arthritis, of injury, and disease? Will you begin to eliminate pain? Will you begin to restore motion? Lord, will you give back the things that the enemy has stolen from us in our bodies? Lord, we believe that you are a healer. We believe it is a gift that you release to us. And so now, Lord, we ask for faith to receive your gifts. We ask for you to come and do what only you can do. 
Lord, as you release your supernatural healing, we will be careful, Lord, to receive it and give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise for it. We will tell others of your goodness, and we will celebrate your presence in our lives and our community. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who hears and a God who heals. And we ask, Lord, will you do it again today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, praise at christianchapel.com. New stories, old stories, we love to hear all of them. Today we're continuing our way through the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter 4 this morning. Uh, We took last week off. Pastor Mike jumped in and did a phenomenal job uh, talking to us about how God opens doors and does different things. If you missed last week, you should go back and listen to it. Yeah, we either all at once or... So Pastor Mike did a great job. There we go. There we go. I appreciate some of you, you just got to go with confidence and trust they'll follow you. Um, you know, but I don't know, it's Christian Chapel, like we still don't know how to clap when we sing, so we're still, we're working on some other things as well, but uh, lead the way, extroverts, lead the way. Um, but hey, today, Acts chapter 4, we're going to talk about crisis prayers. And so the setting of Acts chapter 4 is Peter and John have received the Holy Spirit along with the other disciples. They are going to the temple gate one day and they see a man who's been crippled from birth, unable to walk for over 40 years. They heal him by the power of Jesus and then they use that healing as an opportunity to preach about Jesus. The religious leaders get mad. They arrest them, they imprison them, and they threaten them to be quiet. Where we're picking up the story today is when they get out of prison and we'll kind of see how they handle crisis and how it provides a model for us when we're experiencing crisis. Now, I don't, I don't know the situation of each one of your lives, but I am fairly confident that in the room this morning, there is a wide range of physical needs, of relational needs, emotional needs, financial needs. There are things that are not as you want them to be. Now, it's possible that there might be someone in the room that you say, you know what, actually today on April 30th, 2023, my life is perfect. I don't have a single need. I don't have a single want. I don't have a single desire. If that is you, I want to celebrate that with you. I want to encourage you to write it down when you get home. Maybe take a picture of yourself today and send it to all your friends just so you have proof that there was one day at one point in your life where everything was fine. Because what we all know is that the words of Jesus are true. In this world, you will have trouble. And if life is great today, something might happen tomorrow, the next week, the next month, where we have a need, where we have a crisis. And those crises can hit us in varying degrees of severity. Sometimes they hit us from multiple angles at once. And the more we experience it, the more we need to understand how to handle it as followers of Jesus. And what Acts chapter 4 teaches us is when we are in crisis, we want to pray crisis prayers. And God answers those prayers and works in some really miraculous ways. So if you have a Bible, we'll start in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and we'll read down through verse 31 today. It says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. 
They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The first thing we see in the response to crisis is the disciples return to their own people. They make a commitment to be together. I love the, the phrasing that we have there. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests had said to them. It is, it's just that everybody should have their people. Right? Like, like when you hear that idea of you know, going back to your own people, there should be an idea of who that is and who they, where they live and what they do. Like there should be actual names and faces that come to mind. The reason that's important is because when you're in crisis, the first temptation of the enemy is a temptation of isolation. He's going to try to get you to believe the lie that no one else has ever suffered like you are suffering right now. He's going to try to get you to believe that you should be too ashamed or embarrassed of your circumstances to tell anyone else about them. He's going to try to get you to believe that no one will understand and no one can ever possibly be where you've been. That others may have suffered, but they have not suffered in the exact way that you have suffered. The enemy will try to tell you that even if they do understand, they don't want to hear about it. That you're an inconvenience to them. That you're the downer at the party. That nobody wants to hear about your problems. And what the enemy is going to do is try to drive you from a crisis into isolation. And in isolation, the darkness will deepen. And the isolation feeds the insecurity of your soul. The disciples model for us an incredible response. As soon as they face a crisis and are free to do so. They gather together with other believers. It says they immediately return to their own people. They understand that their first job is not to run and hide. It's not to get out of Jerusalem. It's to go back to their people and to tell them everything that has happened to them. And so when you're in crisis, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go to other believers. And the second thing you're going to do is you're going to tell them what has happened in your life. You don't have to dress it up. You don't have to come with a plan of how you're going to fix it. You can come and be brutally open and honest and say, this is exactly what's going on. This is exactly what I'm going through. And I have no idea why it happened, how it happened, or what I'm going to do. That's the model that the disciples set for us. It's the model that we want to follow, which leads us to ask the question of, who are your people? Who are, when crisis hits, who are the people that you know I can text them and they're going to respond? They're not going to leave me on red for an entire day. Who are the people you know I can call them and they're going to answer it. They're not going to text me back, what do you want? Right? Who are the people that you can show up on their doorstep, ring the doorbell, and they're going to welcome you in regardless of the condition of their house at the time? Who are your messy house friends? Who are the ones that you know you can just barge right in and pour it out, all out on them, and they're going to be there for you? And if you're here this morning, you think, I don't have anyone like that. Well, your first job today is to start creating those relationships, to begin to build relationships with other believers who believe like you, who trust in Jesus like you, and who are going to be there for you. Or you don't want to wait till the crisis hits to form the friendships. You want to form them on the front end so that when it comes, it's there and it's ready for you. Now, the, the other side of that question is not just who are your people, but who would look at you and say, you are my people. 
What other believers know, they can always count on you. They can always turn to you. You will always be there to listen. Who knows that they can come to you in their darkest hour, in their loneliest moments, and you're always going to create a space for them. Our hope at Christian Chapel is to be a church where people in crisis are welcomed and where people in crisis find community. Because it's in community that we find connection with each other. It's in community that we combat the lies of the enemy, that we're the first, the last, or the only one to go through this. It's in community where others join with us and can listen to the details of our life and help us see how God is working in that crisis. In community, we get the hug from somebody saying, I'm sorry you're going through this, but I believe that God has a plan. In community, we get others who say, let me tell you about how God has led me through similar experiences and my own dark nights of the soul. But we will only experience that as we make the commitment to be together. And when the disciples make the commitment to be together, they go back and they report everything that's been said to them, but they don't stop there and just begin to plot and scheme. They don't begin to develop, okay, what's our escape route out of Jerusalem? They don't start to say, how can we avoid this situation happening again? But they report what has happened, and then immediately they begin to pray together. And so it says they, they begin to, they raise their voices in prayer. And what we'll see here, there are three specific types of prayer that the disciples pray when they're in crisis. So we're going to take some time, kind of walk through these and see what they teach us about our own crisis response and our own crisis prayers. But before we jump into those types, I want to encourage you, every Christian relationship should have an element of praying together. If you're married, you should be praying with and for your spouse. If you're a parent, you should be praying with and for your children. If you're friends, you should find opportunities to pray with and for each other. In our home groups, the two things we want to do in our home groups at Christian chapels, we want to be together and we want to pray together. Right? The, the world, you can find friendships everywhere. What makes Christian community unique is not just our connection to each other, but our connection to God. And one of the strongest ways to build your connection to God with other believers is by praying together. And so in crisis especially, we're not going to shift first into, well, let me give you some advice. Let me recommend a book. Let me tell you about a podcast. Our first response to other believers who are in crisis is always, let's pray. Right? That's why we have a prayer room at Christian Chapel. It's why we're praying together every time we gather together. Prayer is not just a religious formality. It is a connection to God. And when we pray together, it also connects us to each other in a unique and supernatural way. So as you start to, to work your way through Acts chapter 4, again, we see three types of prayer. The first thing we see is prayers of praise. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The disciples have big problems. The men who have threatened them and told them not to talk about Jesus anymore are the same men who put Jesus to death. So their threats are real. They have teeth. There are real potential consequences and cost to their actions. But when they come back, their first prayer is not, Lord, save us. Their first prayer is to remember who God is. You are the creator of heaven and earth. They're, they're practicing a principle that's going to be really important for us to endure seasons of crisis. When the disciples have a problem with creation, they remember the creator. 
They lift their attention up, not saying, Lord, look at these threats, not saying, Lord, we can't believe how big and strong they are, not saying, Lord, we're surrounded and overwhelmed. Their first prayer is, you are the creator of heaven and earth. Everything pales in comparison to you. When you're you're in a season of crisis, the enemy is going to tempt you to magnify your problems and minimize God. I was a a kid, uh, I I grew up in a home with, there were four kids in the house, so I was the the second of four. Older sister, younger brother, younger sister, and like all kids and teenagers, uh, we were all dramatic in our own ways at different times. And we all thought that whatever problem we were facing at a particular moment was in fact the worst problem that anyone in the world had ever faced, and our parents couldn't possibly understand it. I was remembering this week a a couple interactions I had uh, with my parents. The first was on my brother's birthday when I was in fifth grade. So my birthday is in February. His birthday is in May. And all I remember is that uh, my little brother got all of these really cool gifts for his birthday. And like a very mature fifth grader, uh, I took the opportunity of his birthday to tell my parents, you guys didn't give me anything on my birthday. Like, do you even love me? You clearly love him more. Look at all that cool stuff he got. And, and uh, just kind of, you know, had my little meltdown. And my mom uh, was quick to respond, as moms do, with a detailed list of everything I had got for my birthday in February. She remembered it. She took me to my room and made me touch it and made me acknowledge it. And, and, and it was just that moment of like, well, okay, I guess I lost that one. Eighth grade, I remembered another one where uh, she had told me to get dressed for school and I told her, I don't have any clothes to wear because you won't buy me anything. And then, you know, as typical eighth grade with mom, there were some other words that were spoken and voices that were raised and groundings that were given. And uh, she, she again took me down to my closet and she showed me all of these clothes in my closet. And she made me open my drawers and acknowledge all of the clothes in the drawers. And, and what I finally admitted to her was, it's not that I don't have clothes. I just don't have clothes I like. You won't buy me the clothes I like, which are the name brand clothes, not the clearance rack clothes. Uh, and, and so we had that discussion. There were numerous instances like that. And those are probably the only two times in my life that I was ever dramatic uh, with my mom. But my siblings were all the time, in much worse ways, but I won't tell you their stories. But my my dad, my mom would enter into the fray, and she would meet our argument detail by detail. She would refute every part of it. My dad would stay outside of the fray, and he had a go-to statement in every one of those situations. He was a pastor, so I'd heard him say it to other people at times too, but he would always say, stop making mountains out of molehills. You guys blow everything out of proportion. You think everything's the worst thing. You, and then he would give me the speech that I give to my kids. I'm sorry your life is so hard where I pay all your bills and provide all your food and provide shelter for you. I'm sorry that you're just so stressed out with not a care in the world or a real responsibility anywhere in your life. Stop making mountains out of molehills. You want to talk about problems? I got problems. And then sometimes he would tell us a couple of them. Right, but, but that thing has always stuck with me. Don't make mountains out of molehills. Now, what are the disciples modeling for us in Acts chapter 4? If anyone had the opportunity to say our problems are big, it's Peter and John who've just been arrested, imprisoned, and threatened by the same men who've killed Jesus. And yet, when they come back and they begin to pray with other believers, their first prayer is, Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth. 
You are the one who sits above, who sits over. They begin to lift their eyes up. And so when you're in crisis, you're going to be tempted to focus all your time, all your energy, all your attention on the problem that's in front of you. And if you magnify it long enough, it will eventually attempt to blot out your view of God. But if you'll stop and begin to pray prayers of praise, remembering that he is the creator of all things, that he is the king above all kings, that he is the one who sits on his eternal throne, that he is the one who puts all things together and holds all things together, that he's the one who knows every detail of your life and every detail of the world. As we begin to lift our eyes up, it magnifies God and restores our problems to their proper perspective. And so the, the question we ask today is, where have I lost perspective? Where have I zoomed in on my crisis to the point that I believe the lies? There is no hope. There is no way. I'm the only one who's ever been here. No one could possibly lead me out of this. I'm pretty sure it's even too big for God. This has caught him off guard. Where do I need to kind of zoom out and begin to understand who God is? Where do I need to begin to magnify him? Where do I need to begin to praise him and to worship him? Where do I need to begin to get a bigger view of him. And as you begin to pray those prayers, my encouragement to you is you can never magnify God enough. Our intellect is too limited to understand the greatness of God. Our vocabulary will never be eloquent or adequate to describe who he is and what he's done. And so you can give us your greatest shot. You can give it all your attention and all your energy, and it will lift your eyes up. But when you feel like your heart is swelling to the point of bursting at the greatness of God, just know he's still greater. Just know there is still more. And so the disciples model for us, in crisis, we're going to pray, and we're going to begin our prayers with praise, remembering who he is and what he's done. The next thing we see with the disciples is they begin to pray prayers of promise. Verse 25, it says, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. After they considered the threats of the religious leaders, the disciples' first response as they're praying is praise. And then after they praise God, they begin to pray the promises of God. They let the scriptures remind them that God had predicted and had a plan for this moment. As they're praying, they're remembering in the Psalms where they said that the kings and the nations plot against the Lord. They're telling themselves the fresh story of Jesus, of Herod and Pilate conspired against him with the people of this city. And they're remembering that what happened in the Old Testament and what happened in the life of Jesus is still the pattern for what happens in our lives today. When we say yes to Jesus, we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We begin to participate in the advancement of God's kingdom. We will be met with opposition. But God has a plan for all of that opposition. It doesn't catch him off guard. It doesn't intimidate him in any way. And so what the disciples are reminding themselves of is there are promises from God that apply to this situation. And the promises we have from God are found in the scriptures. And so, so we're going to ask, well, then what promise speaks to my situation? Well, the, the challenge for us here is just like with community, you want to form community before you're in crisis, so you have a community to go to in crisis. 
When it comes to the promises of God, you want to begin to internalize the promises of God before you're in crisis so that God has something to bring back to mind when you're in crisis. Right? The reason God brought the Psalms back to mind for the disciples is because the Psalms were part of their heart and part of their life. And, and for some of us, the reason that, that we're in crisis and we think there's not a single scripture that comes to mind is because we don't spend a single moment putting scripture into our hearts and into our lives. For every believer, we have to establish a discipline of daily interaction with the scriptures. And as you're pouring them into your life, sometimes God is going to speak to you very specifically about the events and things that are happening on that day. Other times, he is planting seeds that he's going to water and bring to harvest at a time when you really need them. But our job is to believe that the promises of Scripture remain God's promises in our life today. If, if you need some help with that, I would recommend this little resource to you. I don't know if you can see it or not. It's called God's Promises for Every Day. So you can get on Amazon, you can grab one. It's just a, a collection of scriptures. And so you can look through it and it talks about what to do when troubles hit your life. What to do when you need a guide for life. What to do when you feel lonely, when you feel depressed, when you feel hurt, when you feel persecuted. And it's just pulling all of these scriptures that you can begin to, to ingest, to digest, to put deep in your heart. But what happens is that when you do that, then you have, you have some material to pray. And when you begin to pray the promises of God, you begin to pray and you remember that he is the God who has promised salvation, hope, deliverance, and healing. He's the God who has promised that he will be with you and break every chain of sin. He's the God who has promised that he will restore you, that he will redeem you. He's the God who's promised that he knows you by name and he knows the number of hairs on your head. He's the God who has promised that when you raise up a child in the way they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. He's the God who has promised that he will turn the hearts of sons to fathers and mothers to daughters. He's the God who has promised that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh and what God has joined together no one will separate. He's the God who has promised to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to achieve every purpose and plan that he has in your life. He's the God who has promised that he will always go before you. He's the God who has promised you are his son and his daughter and he has planted you in the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you there. He's the God who has promised that in every need, in every season, in every situation, he is your provision, he is your sufficiency, he is the one who always hears, the one who always always answers and the one who always acts. And these are the promises of scripture and more. We could do this all day long. And then we remember on top of all of that, that now in Christ Jesus, every promise is yes and amen. Every promise has been given to us. He will provide. He will lead. He will guide. He will reveal. He will replace your mourning with joy. He will comfort the brokenhearted. He will draw near to you in your pain because this is the promise of Scripture fulfilled in Jesus and made accessible to you and me through him. And so when we're in crisis, we're going to remember God has promised that he is with me, he is for me, and he has a plan in this situation. But our job is to begin to internalize those promises, to, to begin to let them run deep in our soul, and then the Holy Spirit himself will pull them out and bring them to mind in the season and situation where we need to hear them. So the disciples, they pray, pray, they pray prayers of praise, they pray prayers of promise, and then they begin to pray prayers for power. I skip down to verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The disciples' prayer is, is probably one of the most challenging aspects at this point for me. Because they say, now, Lord, consider their threats. And, and, and when I pray that prayer, it's, Lord, consider their threats and deliver me from them. Lord, consider my need and provide for it. Lord, consider my sickness and heal. Lord, consider my relationship and restore. Lord, consider my doubt and give faith. Lord, consider my fear and take away the source of my fear. But the disciples' prayer is now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In crisis, my most frequent prayer is, God, end this crisis. The disciples' prayer in crisis is, God, give us boldness to stay on mission in this crisis. And remember the situation that's put them here. The situation is they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They saw a man who was crippled, and they they healed him by the power of Jesus. And it's got them in all kinds of trouble. And now their response is, Lord, do it again. I mean, the disciples, they're like Daniel coming out in the lion's den being like, can I go back? They're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, we want to sleep another night in the furnace. And they're Moses saying, send me back to Egypt. They have no fear because they know this is what God has called us to do. He's called us to preach the gospel. He's called us to proclaim his goodness. And so, Lord, we're going to consider their threats. We're going to know they're real. We're not going to dismiss our problems. Right? In crisis, you don't have to deny your reality. In crisis, you don't have to pretend that bad things aren't bad or sad things aren't sad or painful things don't hurt. You can consider it. You can acknowledge it. You can bring it to other believers. You can pray about it. But as you do, the prayer is not just, Lord, get me out of here. The, Lord, the prayer is, Lord, help me be faithful here. Help me stay on mission here. Release the power of your Holy Spirit here. Work and move. And and so the question we're asking today is, where do I need power to obey today? And, And specifically a way to think about that is, what crisis am I asking God to deliver me from? And in in place of praying for deliverance for just a moment, what does it look like to pray for obedience in that moment? In, In the space of unemployment, God help me obey. In the space of a broken marriage, Lord, release your power. In the space of a child who's turned away from the Lord, God, fill me with courage to continue to share. In the space of physical pain, of emotional anguish, of grief and loss, Lord, send me power to stay on mission. Help me remember that no matter what is going on in my life, you have still called and equipped me with the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to be part of building your kingdom right here and right now. What the disciples are learning is the same thing they had watched Joseph model for them in the scriptures, that our lowest moments are often the spaces that God is using to prepare us for his greatest moments of significance in our life. And so their prayer is not, God, get me out of here. Their prayer is, Lord, release your power here. Fill us. Release signs and wonders. God, do it again. And this remains our prayer today. And what we see as we we read through Acts is that's a prayer God always answers. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we see their answered prayers. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
God's answer to the disciples' prayers is to send the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a pattern we see all the way through the book of Acts. We've told you Acts is the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And what happens over and over and over again is men and women hear about Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts them of sin, draws them into a relationship with Jesus, affirms to them they're his sons and daughters. They take their place in the family of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out on them in a fresh way, this this gift of spirit baptism to fill them with power to be his witnesses. And as they receive power, they go out in the world and they begin to witness about Jesus to others. And as they witness about Jesus to others, he confirms the message with signs and wonders and many others put their faith in Jesus Christ. And as that happens, it creates a response in the world around them. And some are happy and excited and join the community and others reject and begin to persecute the church. And as the church is persecuted, what we see is they again turn back to Jesus. And they come in a position of prayer. And Jesus once again pours out the gift of his Holy Spirit. This group of men and women that Peter and John go back to, they've all received this gift of spirit baptism. But now in the face of threats, they're receiving a fresh work, a fresh infilling, a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit for that particular crisis. It's a reminder to us that whatever problem you're facing, there is a gift of power from the Holy Spirit waiting to be released in your life. A gift of his power that is undeniable. But the the other thing I want you to, to notice here is there are two men who are arrested. Two men who are threatened. Two men who are imprisoned. Peter and John. From the position of the religious leaders, they need to stop Peter and they need to stop John. And if they can do that, they feel like they have hope to stop this Jesus thing. And so they threaten them, they imprison them, they they threaten them some more, they send them on their way. But what they don't know is the kingdom of God is always bigger than two men or two leaders. And so Peter and John, what do they do? It says they go back to their own people. Now it's unlikely that they're going back to all 5,000 people who are now part of the church. What they probably went back to was some kind of small to medium-sized gathering in the home of a believer. And so, so we don't know, maybe there's a couple dozen, maybe, maybe there's up to 50 or maybe 100 that are gathered in a home or a courtyard somewhere. And Peter and John begin to tell them about the threats that they've received and the people begin to pray together. And as they're praying, they're praising the Lord and remembering who he is and they're praying the promises and remembering what he's done and they're praying for power. And then God releases his power, but notice he doesn't just release his power on Peter and John, but it says the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one more example to us in the scriptures of the enemy thinks if I can take two out, this thing will end. And God says, how about I just fill them all? How about we just use every single one of them? And it's a reminder to us today that your crisis is a place where the enemy thinks he's going to cut your legs out from under you. Your crisis is a place where you think you're never going to move on from. But this morning, I'm telling you, when you go together with other believers, when you begin to pray together with other believers, when you begin to praise God together with other believers, when you embrace the promises of God with other believers, when you ask for the power of the Holy Spirit with other believers, your crisis is not the place where the enemy cuts your legs out. Your crisis is a place that launches your community into greater experiences of the Holy Spirit and we all begin to speak the word of God with increasing boldness and effectiveness. The religious leaders thought if we can shut these two up, it will stop. But God said, watch this and he pours his spirit out and they all begin to speak the word of God boldly. They wanted to stop two witnesses. God turned it into dozens and possibly hundreds of witnesses. And the same thing continues today. Every space where the enemy thinks he can use your circumstances to stop you. 
God has a plan not only to use you, but to multiply the impact of the Spirit through your life. As God begins to work in your situation and you invite others into it, they begin to own that crisis with you. They begin to seek the power of the Holy Spirit with you. And when God answers, his answer is not just to pour his spirit out on you, but on all of us. When we pray together for your healing and you're healed, we are all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we pray together for your lost son or daughter, your lost mom or dad to say yes to Jesus, and they do, we are all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we begin to pray for you to have boldness to stand at school, at work, in your neighborhood, in your family, what happens is the Holy Spirit does that, and he also fills all of us to have the same boldness everywhere we go. And so crisis prayers become opportunities for us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And what the enemy intended for evil, God uses for good, to pour out his spirit in new and fresh ways on each and every one of us to achieve all that he has planned and more. We stand with me, I wanna pray for us. The band's gonna come back and lead us in a final song. Jesus, we come to you today You see our needs and you see our situation. Lord, you know the crisis that some of us came in experiencing. Lord, even this morning, some of us on our drive in at home, we we said, Lord, we just need to hear from you today. We need to know that you see our pain, that you care about our situation. Lord, today we have heard the message of the scriptures, that you see every crisis and you have a plan for every crisis that you've put us in community together to join together and pray together, that you have sent the Holy Spirit to pour out power on our lives so that we can stay on mission and see your kingdom grow and your will achieved in this moment. And so, Lord, we come with our need asking to be saved, to be delivered, to be healed. We come asking for your provision, your redemption, your reconciliation. We come asking you to mend broken relationships. We come asking you to open doors of employment. But Lord, above all of that, we come asking for you to release your power in this crisis in our lives. Enable us to stay on mission, to stay focused on the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, and to continue to be part of building your kingdom right here in this moment. Jesus, I believe that for every person with us in the room, every person listening online, you have a divine plan to take us from where we are to where you want us to be. And today we come in a position of surrender, asking simply, will you fill us once again with the power of your Holy Spirit? Will you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and feet that are ready to walk the path you lay out before us? Will you fill our hearts with courage and faith, with hope and joy, knowing that you are the God who is above all things? You are the God who is over all things. You're the God who's in all things and holds all things together that there is no season or situation that has caught you off guard or intimidates you in any way. Jesus, we come today knowing that you are the answer to every crisis. You are the provision for every need. So we come to hear your voice and walk in obedience on the path you're laying out for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.